Thank you, guys. If you would turn to John chapter 19. Excuse me, John chapter 20. I had it turned the wrong spot. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself. Make that 21. That's my final offer. John chapter 21. Little boy was sitting out in the foyer of the church, and he was looking at the plaque of all the service men and women who uh, had uh, passed in service. And a uh, young man was sitting there looking at it, and uh, one of the deacons walked up and said, Son, what are you looking at? He said, I don't know. He says, What is this? He goes, Well, that's where all the service men and women had died in service. And little boy goes, Well, is that the morning service or the night service? Probably some handy piece of information to have. As you can tell, Brother Johnson is not here today. Uh, he has allowed me to uh, take the pulpit, and I do appreciate that. Some of you going, well, I wish he hadn't let me know that. I wouldn't have showed up today. Um, he actually tells the story of a lady who got on to him for not letting her know that he was going to be missing because she would not have shown up. Uh, and so I think that's really interesting, uh, or at least that's the words I'm going to use. Uh, how are y'all doing today? I'm doing pretty good, thank you. Now then, how many lied? What would happen if we really wore the faces that we really have on, in the inside of the church? John chapter 21, we're going to start in verse 1 we got quite a few verses because I'm a believer in reading Scripture. I think many times some preachers just need to sit down and read or stand up and read Scripture and sit down because I think God's Word speaks to us more than some fellow who thinks he knows God's Word. And hopefully I am one who does not think but actually is speaking from the mouth of God because he has been called to do that. But here we go. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others were together with him. I'm going out to fish. I'm going fishing. Simon Peter told them. They said, we'll go with you. Now, can anybody remind me what Peter done before he became a follower of Christ? He's a fisherman. He's going back to what he knew. Now, this is after uh, Jesus had died on a cross. He was put into a tomb for three days, and he had rose again. He's already appeared to them twice, at least for, for all of these that are named here, at least twice. One of those times, the first time... Um, Thomas was not there. He says, I'm not going to believe unless I put my hands, my fingers into the prints of his hands and the, my hand into his side. Jesus comes back, allows him to put his fingers in his hands and the <clears throat> hand in his side. He says, my God, my God. He is meeting them again. And the whole story starts off with, I'm going to go fishing. What I know. In chapter 20, when it talks about him coming to them, it says that they were glad. 
Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but the way I understand that word glad was they were beside themselves. Notice that this was their leader. This is their rabbi. This is their teacher that taught them so many things. And then all of a sudden, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, through the Roman government, by the vehicle of the Roman government, had him crucified. He, they thought, even though he had taught so many things, that many of them thought that he was going to be a political leader. He was going to bring Jerusalem out of Roman control and be their king. And he is nailed to a cross like a common criminal. And their hopes and dreams were dashed. But then all of a sudden, there's a report that the tomb that he was buried in was empty. And Peter and John ran to go sit for themselves. And then Jesus shows up in a room that was locked. Notice that both times that he went into the room to see people, one, uh, Thomas was not there. The second time, Thomas was there. I guess he'd gone to Starbucks to pick up a skinny latte. I don't know. But he wasn't there the first time. He comes back, and that's when he states, my God, my God. Notice that both times the doors were locked. Why? Because they were afraid of what the religious leaders were going to do. They started preaching the name Jesus. They were locked in a hole. This is where we come up here. It says afterwards. That's what happened beforehand. Peter's going, I'm going fishing. And the other six people go, we're going to go with you. Some of them were fishermen. Some of them were not. But they want to follow Peter. Notice that his leadership skills there. So they went out into, got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, have you got any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of a large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's code for John, many times, or every time he's written a book, all right? of the Bible. He, he does not name himself John. He names himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. So he was a fisherman, but swimming was not his thing, because why would you put your coat on to go swimming? Hmm. I can't answer that for you. You'll have to look that up on your own. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals where the fish were on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him who you are. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, and gave it to them, and did the same thing with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, son of son, son, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went <clears throat> where you wanted. But when you were old, you would stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Well, can I tell you something personal? Sometimes you get to preach on things that you'd like to preach on. Man, I love preaching on love. I really love preaching on the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's plenty of things that, you know, sometimes makes me want to shout. If I was in the Pentecostal church, I'd probably try it. But I'm going to, there's a lot of things I would love to preach on. But I'm going to tell you this morning, this one was when I was starting to uh, think about this and pray about this and, and look into the Scripture. <clears throat> This started playing into my heart, and I couldn't get away from it. This is not one of those fun ones to preach. Hopefully, so I'm not alone, hopefully you won't have fun listening to it. But I do believe that this is a part of Christianity that we need to realize because I think it's an important part of Christianity. If we're going to follow Christ who say we're going to follow Him, then it means we need to follow Him, correct? I mean, because many times we've said a lot of things with our lips, but we've never put it into action. So, today's sermon is, is following Jesus is not safe. Following Jesus is not safe. If I would, Joe Moore, would you pray for me and pray for us as we learn about God's Word today? Thank you. Jesus never called us to be saved. Okay? We live in a, in a westernized Christianity that sometimes, to be honest with you, just makes me sick. It tells us that if I love God enough, I'll have the nicest bins, I'll have the nicest house, I will have plenty of money in the bank, I will do this, and I'll be able to do that, I'll have the hottest girlfriend, and all those different things. Okay? I'm pretty much zero for zero on that. Okay? We have men who say they uh, preach God's Word, and every time I hear it, it just is this whole health and wealth. And don't get me wrong, sometimes God blesses us with health and wealth. I'm not saying it's wrong to be healthy, and I don't see anything wrong with it being wealthy. But when that's what we're searching for, if we're searching for, as the old preacher said, we're searching for the hands of God to give us something. We're not searching for the face of God to know who He is. 
then we're not doing what we're supposed to do and we're searching in the wrong area. God is not some kind of cosmic uh, slot machine that we throw our prayer coins in there and we pull the handle and hold our hands out, wait to get what we're going to get. Jesus called, never has called us to be saved. He's never promised us that the very minute that we uh, decide to follow Christ and the first person we witness to is not somewhere in a place where Christian is not cared for and they hang us or they kill us automatically. We're not promised safety in Christianity. God has never called us to be saved. Now, we want to be saved, and there's times when there's many testimonies in foreign countries of missionaries when there was very dismal uh, uh, situations going on, and it seemed like it was going to happen, and God freed them from it. I believe that happened. But we must be willing to die for the, our faith in Jesus Christ. If we're not, then we're going to be sorely, sorely mistaken when we get to the other side. Because if we want to live and live for ourselves, then I think that we're going to be bankrupt in heaven. I'm a personal believer that love is the currency of heaven. I believe that if you have not learned how to love here on earth, you're going to be poor in heaven. Jesus says, gather up your riches in heaven where the moth cannot deteriorate and the thief cannot steal. Jesus has never called us to be safe. He told us that the world hates you. Just remember that they hated me first. We're in direct opposition against the place that we live on, the very world we live in. This whole, I'm going to get where I'm, I'm going to get to the top, and it doesn't matter who I step on. It doesn't matter how many people I hurt. It doesn't matter how many people I kill. It doesn't matter how many feelings uh, I, I'm caring about, how many families I'm caring for. I'm going to get to where I'm going to get. And in a world like that, love is a glaring light in their face. First, I mean, John chapter 1 tells us that when Jesus was born, that the world could not comprehend Him. The Word, that could not comprehend Him. The world could not understand it. This world is all about give me, give me, give me, make me better, make me stronger, make me prettier, all these different things. If you look at my inbox, you will, tell, I, you will see right off the bat that I'm probably the most inadequate person to do anything. Because I have things to make my hair grow. i got things to make me lose weight. i got things to make me bigger, stronger, and faster. The world does not comprehend the love of Christ. And when the love of Christ shines in their eyes like a glaring light, they fight against it. The world hates Christians who are following God. They love us that we're following God in here. They hate us when we follow God out there. Can I tell you that there is an overwhelming thought that, oh, it's okay, you can be a Christian, be whatever you want to be. You, you worship any God you want to worship, just as long as you worship Him in your houses of worship. Be private about it. You love God? Just love God. Love God all you want. Just be real quiet about it. 
Jesus never called us to be saved. Now, I like the feeling of safety. How many have locks on their doors? How many have locks on their doors that they lock? Let me see that hand. Come on. Come on. Okay. Can I tell you how good locks really are? Your front door is probably the strongest door in your house. Made for the reason because that usually attracts people. Front door. And um, it's probably one of the most strongest of the doors. Uh, in fact, uh, if in, I don't know much about construction, but a little bit I know of safety is the idea that they actually put in extra wood there around the door so you can secure your door. Um, I actually have, I think, what the law enforcement call stealth paraphernalia because I actually have a small hooligan tool. Now, hooligan tool, or if you're in the southern part, uh, southern hemisphere of this world, you would call it a halogen tool. And it's basically got a, a sharp point on one side, and then it has a, hook, it has a, a wedge on the other. And down at the bottom, because the fire department use them for forceful entry, and down at the very bottom, on a four or five foot uh, uh, post or, or a rod, there's a basically what you see on a claw hammer. It's on the in the stick. And so, with one of those tools, when I was on the fire department, <coughs> they used to call me the master of disaster. And the reason is, is because I could pop a, pop a car hood on a car fire in about 15 or 20 seconds. If I had a good hammer man, and in about 10 or 15 seconds, I could have your front door off the hinges, if you've given me enough time, because we had to enter into the house, enter into the dwelling to get to the fire. So if a man, and I don't have one that's about that, because they give it to me because that was the master disaster, they give me one when I left the fire department. And it's about a foot and a half long. With that particular one, you probably have to give me 30 seconds, but I could pop the door open, no problem at all. Even if you get the extended version of your deadbolt, Give me 35 seconds. I'm old and fat. Probably can't do as good as I used to. Now then, how safe is your lock on your front door? Every one of you going to go to Home Depot. Our preacher said today that I need to get something else. It doesn't work. Listen, we want to be safe, don't we? But are we really safe? I tell you, a few months ago, um, getting close to... You know, getting close to about nine or ten months ago, I actually asked our students how safe they felt. Uh, I asked them this way. I said, how many of you feel like you're safe more than two or three days a week? Or, or less than two or three days a week? And most of them wrote, wrote, raised their hand. We live in an unsafe world. Physically unsafe world. But can I tell you that we live in an unsafe world spiritually? The world hates us. Jesus never called us to be saved. Where did they find the two? One of the, the two different times that Jesus met with these guys, where did they find them? In the upper room. And what, how were the doors? They were locked. Notice that Jesus bypasses their security. It said that he just appeared into the room. Notice that he didn't even walk through their front door. He appeared into the room. I don't know what that looks like. 
But I'm going to be honest with you. If something like that happened to me, I would go nuts. Okay? For a person to just appear into the room that did not go through any of the <laughs> doors or windows of that place to appear, we would go nuts. In fact, it said that they were beside themselves when they saw him. Okay? Can I tell you, Jesus never called us to be safe. What we think security is, is no good. Uh, those who talk about that they know things say three days is the day is how many days it takes for a middle class person to come homeless. Seventy two hours, which is also three days, is the amount of time that a middle class person will start to think about violence while everything when everything else goes down, when the economy goes down, when all the things go down, uh, all of our services, electrical uh, gas and all that goes down. At 72 hours, three days, is when a middle-class man starts to think about violence to be able to get what he wants to get or to get what he needs to get. Can I tell you that this world is not safe, either physically or spiritually? It hates us. He called us to die for this world. He called us to die for this world. My question is to you is, are you willing to die? Story goes of a play that was uh, happening right at Shakespeare's time. I don't think he wrote it, but uh, maybe a little bit before then even. Uh, he says, the uh, story goes that it's about Lazarus. And uh, he's risen from the dead, and the soldiers come to tell him, do not preach this name, Jesus, or we will kill you. And supposedly the actor would reach around to his ribs, and he'd begin to gut laugh, laugh uncontrollably. And they were sitting there and says, why are you laughing? He says, do you not know that I am the one who has died already? It's no big deal. What are they going to do, cut up his credit card? They want to close this local Starbucks. What do you do with a guy who's not willing, not afraid to die? What do you do with a person who is not willing, who is willing to roll up and say, hey, I'll enter into those gates again. It's not a big deal to me. Kill me all you want. Because I promise you that place is better than this place. So do whatever you want to with me because when it's all said and done, I will be with my Creator. What do you do with a guy like that? They can't use handle. They can't handle it. The world cannot handle someone who has said, hey, I'm willing to die, and I'm going to live until I die for my Savior. The world couldn't handle it. I have a flaw among very many. Is the many times I speak, I die for you, Jesus. But my trembling body very few times is willing to do what it takes. Are we willing to die? We live in an unsafe world. It's never called us to be safe. It's called us to be faithful. Notice that the very last verse says, verse 19 says, the last thing he said was follow me. 
Can y'all remember the first words that he said to Peter? When Andrew, his brother, told Peter to come go with him, what was the first words he said? Follow me. We know the story of how Peter had denied Christ three times, and then we see here that Jesus asked him questions, do you love uh, love me more than these? And he, he felt bad because he had denied him, you know, three times, and now he's asking this, do you love me three times? He had gotten, he knows, he sees the picture, and he's, he's upset. What does Jesus do? He says, follow me. But look at the verse, <clears throat> verse 18 before that. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, and you went where you wanted. But when you were old enough, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. He's actually talking about Peter's death. We hear the story from history that, that Peter was hung, uh, was crucified upside down because he did not want to be crucified like his Savior. He didn't feel like he was worthy enough to be crucified like him, so they crucified him upside down. But he's talking about this crucifixion. Notice that verse 19, Dan Hatter, he tells him, hey, you're going to die, and it's going to be pretty rough. You're not going to want to do it, but follow me. Jesus never called us to be safe. He called us to follow Him. He called us to be faithful. He called us to be faithful. Listen, I'm in the very same boat you are many times. I speak to this thing right here a lot of lofty words. But I deliver very little. But what would happen if we as Christians from just this church Started saying we are we're ready to die. It doesn't matter. You can put it whatever you want to in front of us. We're going to be faithful no matter what. When we say it, as he said, let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes. Would we be faithful, or when we become, when we say we're going to be faithful, we would be faithful? I'm going to tell you that the country that we live in, the world we live in, would do would have no idea what to do with it. I want to say that probably even some churches would not even know what to do with it. But can I tell you that I do not, I cannot even comprehend the things that would happen inside this church if we decided to be faithful even unto death. Because what can you do with a person who's not afraid of dying? Pretty easy. Jesus said, follow me. He did not say, watch me. Notice that he did not say, watch me. He said, follow me. The one thing about disciples that we learn in history is, as many times, the idea of a disciple is a person who is sitting there having to wipe the dust off of him because his master's kicking dirt up on them as they're walking together. They're so close to him. They're kicking dust up on them on those dirt roads, and when they get to a place, they're having to go, because they're so close to their rabbi. He did not say, watch me. He said, follow me. For Peter, he said, follow me to your death. Is what he's saying, because that verse right before it tells him, you're going to die. Follow me. My question is, is where is he calling you to go? 
this is a scary question. What if he called you to empty your bank accounts out? Pay for missionaries to go around the world. Depending on how much your bank account is for a year, for two years. Maybe God's blessed enough in your whole entire bank account and your retirement. What if he told you to give it all away so the missionaries could go where they needed to go for the next ten years? That's so radical to us. So radical to me. But can I tell you the problem that's so radical to us? I want to say that the problem is it's not that not just having to ask the question, what would what would we do if God asked us to give away everything? I think maybe the problem is, is that we're scared to death that God would ask us to give everything away. I promise you it's the same side, same back here as it is there. What security do we have in our money? Nineteen twenty nine, didn't take very much at all, did it? 2008. For us in Mississippi, it was right around 2009, 2010 before we really got to see a bunch of that. But was it really safe for us to lose everything? For some, not very much. But what would happen if God called us to give away every dollar we own? What would happen if God called us to take whatever else that we being valuable and give it away so and called you to go to a, some kind of field somewhere. It scares me to death. But it's also a question in my heart is, is why is that so radical to me? Am I so in, entrenched into this world that I'm scared to death for God to call me to go to Africa for a week and minister to people? That, that would scare me to death. Hey, wh- where is my faith at that says that there's no way God would call me to go there? He knows who I am. He knows the type of person I am. He, he knows that I, I, I feel uneasy when the, when the checkbook or, oh, that's a little bit out of normal. He knows that he would know. I don't know, but I can't say that I would know the every thought that God has because he says his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Here's the thing Jesus is always calling. He's always calling us every day to follow Him. Every day He's calling us to die to ourselves. He calls us to give all to Him. He calls us every day. It's every day He calls us to follow Him. It's not just just on Sunday mornings. Can I say that one more time? It's not just on Sunday morning. He's calling us to be who we're supposed to be. He's calling us every day to die to this world, to die to ourselves. And He's calling us every day to give and to be faithful to Him. Every day He's calling us. Every day He's calling us to follow Him. Well, 
What is he calling you to give? What is he calling you about? Is it your worst fear? I will say I don't believe it's your worst fear every time. question is, is are you going to be faithful and am I going to be faithful? If it is sometimes my worst fear. Even though it shouldn't be my worst fear. I should be ready to give up everything to follow Christ. Young man who was able to, I saw a story, he was actually able to go to the um, uh, Price is Right on the TV show. He got on there, went up to, uh, went all the way to the final, I forget what they call that, the final thing that they do. He won it, ended up winning $50,000 worth of money and stuff. First thing he does is gives it away so that he can take care of homeless in uh, the city he was in. I forget which one it was. What would it be like just to be able to give everything away? Can I tell you that I figure that you'd probably be the closest to God you've ever been? Because I think many times, like me, we have gathered up enough of the world to make us feel comfortable. But we've talked enough to God and we feel good on His side. But He's not calling us to feel good. He's not calling us to be safe. He's calling us sometimes to be even reckless compared to this world. Sometimes He's called us to give everything away. Sometimes He's called us not to give anything away, but to pray for those who have. But wherever you're at, are we going to be faithful? Is He calling you to go? How the musicians come? Are we going to be faithful? I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. But are we willing to die to everything to this world and be ready to give to Him? Because I promise you, is once we make that decision, and we follow through with that decision, the world could not comprehend even us. Could not handle the power of God that would happen among each one of us and among the church and among Christianity if we as believers starting, started being faithful even to the very end when He says, follow me. As you stand, this is a time we call an invitation where we get to do business with God. And I don't know, I, I, I'm, man, I hope there was some light in all this because I'm telling you, thinking about it and praying about it to this week was, it was tough because what happens when He calls me to do something like that? But listen, allow God, be faithful and allow God to speak to you today. And listen, you need to come to the altar or speak with me. I'll be here. Whatever God's calling you to do, please be faithful to do that.